Hey, everybody, it's Lance Dawson. Welcome back to another episode of Backstage Lowdown. This week, we have a fascinating guest, Betty Ann Keller, who is the producer, director, filmmaker extraordinaire of Rock This Town. If you haven't seen it, you need to go to Princess Twin Theater and really find out the depth of music history that this region has. Um, her and Joe Ricci, I believe I'm pronouncing that properly, uh, back in the day started, you know, quite by mistake, becoming music promoters. And they were responsible for bringing a lot of big names into this region to play uh, both universities and then eventually the odd and the story goes on and on. Anyway, we're going to get to talk to Betty Ann about uh, her film, her goals of making that film, and maybe a little bit of the future for live music and what's going to happen in KW. So stay tuned. Here we go. Betty Ann. Very well. Great. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. My pleasure. I take it you've met Andrew. We've been yes. chatting. Okay. Yeah, very briefly. Really, when it comes to technology, I neither of us are that great. <laughs> we just <laughs> seem to get by. This is the first time I've had a hard time getting actually like joining the meeting. Yeah, That's that I was know. really strange. Anyway, well, let's let's get underway. So, Betty Ann, thank you again for joining us tonight. I have seen your documentary twice. 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 I went with uh, with Scott and and so Scott Martin, who's our mutual friend. Um, we are in a band together, although many keep coming up to me and saying, so are you in Scott Martin's band? <laughs> so, <laughs> this is, and this is I'm telling you, it's happened to me like in Long and McQuaid. Like, hey, I know you. You're in Scott Martin's band, right? So anyway, that's right. Uh, yes, that's right. <laughs> so anyway, um, so so the guys in the band, the boys in the band all went to see um, Rock This Town, which is that's fantastic. Fun. And I had so much fun that I came home and I said to my wife, who is a hometown girl and her mom, obviously, is hometown as well. And so uh, so I said, you guys really should see this because. So I mean, yeah. did you see anything different the second time? Um, that's a really good question. This should be your podcast because that's, that's a great lead out question. She's hijacked the podcast. I yes, know she did it. Um, no, that's a good question. And I did in that. I think there were some some details because there's it's a really visual uh, product. There's all sorts of clips from uh, Kitchen Waterloo from back in the day, from the 60s, 70s, 80s. And uh, and so you can kind of be blown away from that. And then, of course, all the, the coverage and the clips you were using from different bands and I think this time I just caught a few different things like, wow, you know, uh, I don't know how I missed Rush the first time around or, you know, Kiss playing Laurier like they were yeah. just. Well, they, um, they don't quite look like Rush in those clips. <laughs> no, no, they don't. So so I'm going to turn the tables because I feel like you could interview me. Um, <laughs> so let's start off with the, the biggest and obvious question. Why do rock this town? Um, it's a complicated answer because I've been involved with um, music in various, live music in particular, in various capacities for most of my working life. Right. And um, my last job was as culture manager for the city of Waterloo. 
uh, and when I retired in 2013, um, I, I guess I made the decision that I would attempt to do the research on getting all the facts straight relative to the bands that played here and the ones I was involved with. And uh, because the Led Zeppelin story, for example, has uh, taken on different iterations over the years. And I just thought, you know, somebody should just get the record straight. So I dove into a lot of the print material at the University of Waterloo Library and, the, and both Kitchener and Waterloo Libraries as well, their archives, and assembled a ton of information. And then added to that, I took uh, oral histories from three or four people that I knew were involved in the business, the music business side of things. Right. And tried to get at what their motivation was because when I was presenting concerts, I, I sure wasn't getting rich. And it was, um, uh, it was mostly a labor of love and a, a, a way to uh, keep myself relatively sane while I was raising small children at home. So it struck me that there must be something else at work when people get involved in music promotion and music making. And so those oral histories were captured in, um, in about 214. And then I was recruited to be the chair of the Region of Waterloo Arts Fund. And unbeknownst to me, that actually became a kind of a part-time job for five years. And I set everything else aside. But in 219, when the pandemic hit, I realized what was happening to the uh, musicians that I knew in the community and the live music venues and how people were struggling. And I thought, okay, I think I'm sitting on a treasure with some of this material that Completely. I've assembled. And I just made the decision that I would pull it all together to make the point that there was a moment in this Kitchener-Waterloo's history when live music and big talent was a huge part of the cultural fabric. And over time, that has been, it has evolved in many ways, but it's also eroded in many ways. And I wanted to ask the question, if it could happen then, why not now? And especially now with um, the impact that the pandemic has had. I have to sure. say, I'm thrilled to hear that you and Scott and others have um, had put a band together and decided that this is how you want to spend your recreational time. That's the juicy stuff for me to know that right. people are still interested in making music. So Rock This Town is a result of all those years of me being involved in the, in the business, um, the research that I did, and to get the message out into the community and start a conversation, a discourse about um, how live music fits into the cultural ecosystem for Kitchener Waterloo in particular. So, sure, that's yeah, a huge. So that was my motivation. Yeah, that's a huge undertaking, and you you bring up so many so many points in just answering that question. One of the other things that I I was quite taken with when I've I've seen the documentary. For those of us, I I I know I joined this late in life, so Andrew will have me do a uh, an intro after we're done. Uh, chatting, but just for those who uh, may not have have seen this uh, documentary, it's it's a it's a bit of a deep dive documentary that's on at the Princess Twin about the uh, the rich musical history of KW and and all these big bands that uh, Benny Ann and her, her husband were involved with bringing to town that you, people wouldn't even associate. I think because you know sometimes uh, 
we, my wife will say this all the time, as much as KW aspires to be a big city, it, it can still be a small town. And as a small town, sometimes you have that small town, small town identity that is maybe overshadowed by Toronto, the big city. And uh, we don't associate Waterloo, certainly with Led Zeppelin. And, and uh, I don't want to give away some of the names. I mean, maybe I should. It's such a I, documentary. Yeah. It really like, is. Honestly, I you know. sat there in, in the dark, in the theater with my notebook out, not being able to see a thing and just trying to keep up with all of the, the names that, <laughs> that have actually come through. Yeah. Like I was flipping through this last night and still can't can't believe some of the the different bands that have actually been through like chicago stevie wonder kiss zappa leonard cohen like i mean the list just goes on and on and every single one of these bands has a, a story to tell along with it like it was it was shocking to me to to see all of the different bands that had come through all the different performers because so, I guess yeah. you, it's been lost o over the years that that there is a storied musical history that goes along with Kitchener Waterloo. So Betty Ann, you had yeah, sorry, you had you had mentioned that you were trying to actually set the record straight on some of these things. Like I had sort of heard the Elton John story, but it wasn't accurate. So your your documentary filled in some gaps. Yes, I, I hope so. And the other goal I had having been a municipal employee, you begin to get a sense of community development and cultural development on a broad scale. And what I realized is that with the, um, with the development of these big tech companies in Kitchener-Waterloo, the um, kind of workers that were coming to live and work in, in Kitchener-Waterloo were not necessarily people who'd lived here all their lives and didn't have that social history from the 60s and 70s completely the, the graduates of the two universities in the 60s and 70s are um treating this film as a trip down memory lane because i get lots of messages from people saying i was there that was me in the fifth row <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome absolutely of course but what's more exciting to me to be honest is um is these the people who have recently come to live in kitchener waterloo and they think they they're coming to a cultural wasteland to a large extent um but the reaction i've had from that population has been i had no idea i had no idea and this is such a cool story. And I'm so glad you're finally telling me that, that this is actually a place that has been cool. What you forget when you talk about Kitchener-Waterloo as being a small town, what you forget is that the, the universities, the two universities in particular, have really been the drivers behind all of this in the same way that they've given um, a kind of economic gold mine for uh, for engineering talent and other kinds of talent to cause companies to locate here. The innovation that was shown by the engineering class and the presenters at, um, uh, for the concerts is the same spirit that has still exists today. So if Joe Risha had not marshaled his engineering class of 500 students with 25 cents each to do a dance, we would not be having this conversation. It was no. it was uh, it was a, a desire to create our own cultural juice that um, that drove all of that. But it let's face it, it did require a risk, a financial risk in particular. Sure. And I still vividly remember 
presenting the Everly Brothers and losing $4,000. And I can tell you it was $4,000 because I remember vividly how that unfolded. So and it was $4, you know, my annual income as a concert promoter never exceeded more than fifteen dollars or $20,000 a year. So yeah. we weren't in it for the money. That's for sure. No, right. You know, with, with all those big names and you're, you're, I'm glad you clarified that because I, I think with all those big names, you can get the idea that, oh, well, people must've been making money hand over fist. And I also like when you mentioned, you know, even in doing this project, it's a labor of love. I, um, I love the fact that you say it is a labor of love because I, I have yet to meet anyone involved in the arts, maybe music in particularly, where it's not a labor of love. Like, I don't know anybody that goes into it thinking, wow, I'm really going to make a killing at this. And, and a few of the, you know, a very small amount of the chosen few get to, um, but no, I'm, and I'm so grateful that you made the documentary. I was really struck though, that this documentary struck me as a real jumping off point, right? That's, because that's you, good. you opened up so many, oh, I could make a documentary out of that. Like what changed? We were all into vinyl. We all had these parties like, hey, I got this album, Benny Ann, come on over. Let's listen to this. It was part of our cultural fabric. Everybody who is over, I'm going to, I'm picking a number. Everybody who's over 45 kind of gets that. Um, you know, you alluded in the documentary, there's a brief mention of, hey, Napster happened. When that happened, when the internet happened, all of this started to slide in a different way. So there's a documentary, there's a story. I went home and I talked to my son because music's been a big part of our household. Uh, and, you know, teaching the boys as they grow up, hey, guys, you know, they're like four years old and I get two sons. And I'm like, hey, it's it's Harmony Week. We're going to spend all week listening to the Beach Boys and uh, and it's 80s Hair Rock Week. And we're going to listen to Poison. <laughs> that backfired, by the way, because I had a four year old running around the house singing Talk Dirty to me. So that, you know, <laughs> not, um, you know, not it was a bad dad moment. I admit, I admit it was just. But anyway, we all have those. I know. I know. So anyway, Betty Ann, I I. I hesitate to ask you this because I know probably everybody who's seen it is going to ask you what's next. Cause there seem to be 10 more stories that could have, could unfold from your documentary. I loved it so much. I just thought, okay, we've got to get, I want more. Let's go down that rabbit hole. Well, I've just now broken even on the cost to produce rock this town. And that, so that's been two years of effort. And that was probably um, Andrew. Andrew that, just that was so my that was, last ticket. There it is. I just put you over the top. Good job, buddy. <laughs> um, so I'm in the short term, at least, I don't plan to make another film. However, having said that, I've been approached by more than one person to get insights into my experience so that they can make the sequel to Rocker's Town. And the, to, if I have any influence on what happens next, there's a couple things. One is that I'd like I'd like to um, find a way to encourage a community discourse. And I have a thing in, in the works that's gonna move us toward that, I think. The City of Waterloo Museum is um, hosting an exhibit called Rock This Town, the Exhibit, opening in October of this year and running until June of 23. And something with that uh, extended run gives us the opportunity to screen the film again, beginning next fall, and I have plans to screen the film in cooperation with Wilfrid Laurier University for their community music program. I had heard that. Yeah, and I would yeah, love that's to- fantastic. I would love to interest the, um, the University of Waterloo, especially the engineering faculty to do something as an alumni event to get 
and to encourage that, as I say, that community conversation, that discourse to, to talk about, use the memories as a jumping off point to talk about what can and would happen if, right? I've already had a conversation with, um, with Mayor Barry Verbanovic and we were talking about venues, the size of venues, for example. Um, and it was the Friday night that the Arkells were playing the Kitchener Auditorium. Mm-hmm. And I said, Barry, let's look at how the Arkells do because this is one of the hottest bands in Canada right now. If it sells out 6,000 seats at the Kitchener Auditorium, that's gonna tell us something about the capacity for live music in big venues. Because right now, 6,000 at the auditorium is the best scenario for what I would say are the big touring acts. So those kinds of conversations will drive us collectively forward on making significant changes in the, what I would call the infrastructure that's available for um, for live music experiences. Because right now, what have we got? We've got clubs, we've got small venues like the Registry Theatre, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got small venues at the universities, which most people consider unavailable because they can't figure out where to park their cars. <laughs> there's the Conrad Centre in downtown right. Kitchener. Um, there's the Centre in the Square for 2,000 seats. And there's the arena. So somewhere in there, there's, uh, there's live music opportunities, but there's not the big 100,000 seater that would allow for the big touring acts to come through now. That's still happening right. in Toronto. But you know, where do we want to position ourselves in the live music touring market in Canada? Because we can be part of the action if we can provide the market and the venues. Right. So we're in, a state of, we're in a state of flux. So if the auditorium is rebuilt, for example, to accommodate not just a very successful Rangers hockey team, but also touring live music, then something's going to change. And that's what, that's what we want to see happen. We want to see things shift toward more live music opportunities, in my humble opinion. Um, so, so one piece is the, um, this is a long answer to your question, but one piece is to get that community conversation going in all the right places. And I'm happy to play a role. Now that I don't work for a city anymore, I'm allowed to have an opinion. So <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> so I'm that's happy fair. to express it. Yes. Um, but the other, uh, the other really interesting thing is that there have been so many amazing musicians and bands that have come out of this region, and I'm convinced that there is something special about Waterloo Region in terms of producing musicians. Your story is just one of them. But think of um, think of Danny Michelle and Alicia Brilla, um, and you know we could go on and on with all the success. JJ Wild, the big yeah. successful bands that have come out of this region. Why, and what's that story about um, something special about Waterloo Region that allows these people to flourish and still feel that this is their home, and that story of who those musicians are is where I. If I were going to make a film, that's what I would do, is to investigate that whole community of people that have emerged from this, um, this place. Okay, so I have, two, I have two questions, and they're going to be connected. Um, if you go and look at some of the musicians that have come out of this area that have made you know, something of themselves, and whatever that criteria looks like uh, for success, but then we have to acknowledge that this area is not what it used to be. I, I, there might be an argument made that this isn't 
a art as artsy or as, as comfortable or whatever they're going to say the ingredient was that allowed them to succeed is KW Cambridge. I mean, Guelph's got a pretty vibrant art scene. I don't know if like we've, and your film brought to light at the end that, Hey, we've just lost the starlight. Um, mm. Rhapsody bar was a pretty good supporter. The boathouse crushing. I've played the boathouse, loved it. Great vibe. That's gone. I'm not sure. I mean, it might come back. We don't know what iteration that's going to take. So my question is that, do you think that if, if we're going to look at those artists, then do we have to acknowledge, well, okay, that happened then. And then was even different than what you talked about in your film in the sixties and seventies. Mm. Um, largely we're talking about eighties and nineties. Now we're into the two thousands. Things have changed. It's a very tech town. It, you know, we've got lots of people. I don't want to use the word transient. They're not transient, but they're not, they're not homegrown either. Um, Relocated. So do you think, do you think, yeah, there you go. Do you think that, that KW still has that magic dust to, to have an, you know, a, a really vibrant art scene. And that's going to lead to the second part that I want you to address, because I know one of your goals in your film was to point out that, you know, we, we talked a lot about all these big names, but it'd be just so wonderful if, if somehow we could, you know, reinvent KW and, and really keep an art, a live music scene happening, then there's the possibility that musicians, um, that that want to be full-time musicians that may never get to anything beyond center in the square can still live in KW their entire career. And this was mm -hmm. this was a goal that you brought up in other interviews, and I mm -hmm. loved it. So if you have that goal, then isn't jumping all the way to, hey, let's build, hey, Barry, let's get a, you know, a, a hundred thousand seat venue like that. That's not a grassroots thing. That's like jump in the shark isn't it mm -hmm. so okay so no, i got so that's a two-parter there go ahead yeah yeah no i um the short answer to your first question is i i i don't know whether um whether there's a potential to revive the boathouse or i mean the starlight lounge is a whole other story because that was two guys that right. just kind of burned out um but re really it comes down to what the audience behaviors are and do people, do people want to go out and have those shared experiences anymore? I think we need to pay very close attention to what happens with the music festivals this summer, um, the blues festivals in particular. It's not just, oh, God forbid if it rains, but if people come out in numbers, that's one indicator. The other one that's frankly more meaningful is whether the corporate community steps up, steps up to sponsor some of the music festivals. Right. Because we all know they don't make money. It's most of them are free, and um, the the people who organize them have a hell of a time attracting the funding to make them happen. So between the grants and the corporate sponsorships, if those if those committees of volunteers can succeed in raising the money and operating a successful festival, that's and that's a better indicator to me. The audiences. As I said, if you get a rain day, you're pooched, and it's only they're only coming out to sit in the tents. Um, so audience right. behavior is the is the one that will tell us whether there's a music scene here. I would like to think there is, but the short answer is I don't know. The other part of the equation is is I absolutely agree with you that no social change happens from the top down. But if if but there is such a thing as a kind of predisposition or a vision that I right. think exists in um, uh, in some electoral bodies and not others. So the 
there's an election this year at the municipal councils. And I think this is um, a worthy topic because not just for live music, but for any cultural, juicy cultural stuff, right? Uh, right. Do, is it fun to live here? Is it fun to live here is such a big question. When I used to um, be invited to speak at the universities for whatever reason about how wonderful it was to work for government, um, <laughs> I always took the opportunity to ask the students what they appreciated the most about uh, their time in Kitchener-Waterloo and the places that they live and they're here for four years and how many of them do plan to stay and, and uh, what do they enjoy the most. And I always hoped they would say the Busker Festival or um, the Blues Festival or the Jazz Festival or the Jazz Club or the great restaurants or any of that stuff. But nine times out of 10, the answer was, we love the trails. We love walking through the park to school <laughs> i was so disappointed <laughs> that's, that's the wrong answer <laughs> I know. well and maybe that goes wrong. i know maybe that goes back to that whole cultural change of you know where they get their music from yeah. are they still excited by music exactly you know now we have a tsunami like everybody's got the technology to be creating music which is on one hand wonderful so many kids are being inspired and creative on another hand we've got this tsunami of choice that is really watering down the whole experience, you know? Yeah, and, and Gary I, I think, talks a lot about that in the film as well. Yeah, that's true. And just getting, it's it's a real challenge to get corporations to see the value that, that live music is such a integral part of a cultural uh, fabric for KW mm -hmm. and what that means. I, like, I, I kind of slide towards, I would love to see a vibrant um, club scene, you know? maxing yes. out at, at sort of like Paul Maxwell's uh, type of thing. And then he had he used to have a smaller room, which was uh, in his old location, which I thought was really nice, had a great vibe. Paul Maxwell it. is um, is heroic in his uh, willingness to stay the course, honestly. He is. He was no, paying I, rent I all through the pandemic. I know. Two years of paying on rent. On an empty building. Yeah, no, I know. And, uh, and you know, so... Well, just we'll take two seconds to to really. I always like to plug live music, of course. But if there's anybody that uh, anyone's remotely interested in uh, that comes by through Paul Maxwell's or Maxwell's Music House, please go and buy tickets uh, just to just to support that venue, right? So lots of jumping off points. So do you think? What do you think? Um, how do how do we? What's your suggestion? How do we convince? a move a, to get a move afoot. I mean, I guess it's really just got to come from support. If we all start supporting more live music and it's hard. I, I mean, half the people I talk to are, are still scared to leave their homes. Right. So well, this if, is, you know, um, this is where my faith and optimism comes through because I cannot imagine my life without music, whether it's recorded or live. Right. And I actually believe at a real deep level that it's such a, fundamental human thing to um, to experience music that I believe there will be a resurgence this this year in particular because everybody's so sick of listening to music at home they want to get out and experience something with other people right. um, so I think this summer might tip it and in that sense I'm very happy with the timing that we were able to release Rock This Town in the spring of this year 
because I think that part of the success is attributed to the topic, which is yes, yes, let's get out, let's do stuff, let's let's find our tribe, let's hang out together and listen to music. So I I really believe that that no matter what, it's going to come back on in some way, shape, or form. Um, and it, I believe it'll be the festivals because they're free for right. the community. Yeah. Um, and then it's fascinating to watch operations like Paul Maxwell's because he's, um, he's doing okay. He's getting folks out. He's, uh, even though he's cynical about how university students typically would rather play video games than um, attend music, the fact that he's serving booze and offering music is a winning formula. It's the same winning formula that Lulu's had, right? Right. Have a drink, hang out with your friends, listen Enjoy to music. Some music. Yeah. It's a party. Yeah. And that's where I think that's where I think he's going to be okay in the long term. Uh, it's like the restaurants. The restaurants that open that own their own buildings are the ones that are going to survive this pandemic. It's the uh, it's the ones that have to lease that are disappearing. And I I'm sure that's part of the story behind the Starlight Lounge as well. Mm-hmm. So if you can't make it work financially, you can only do it for so long, right? That's right. Well, part of the challenge of every business, at least, I mean, it used to be this way, and I think it is still that how do we get the students to come off campus? Because it's so comfortable for them to stay on mm-hmm. campus, to stay in their residences, to stay in their apartments. Uh, you know, the restaurants that are right around the campuses, uh, and they've got a lot of stuff, thinking of UW right now, but a lot of restaurants on campus. It's how do we get them downtown or uptown? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. how do we get mm-hmm. them out to uh, these different places? But I guess and off it, Ezra yeah. Street, right? Off, <laughs> off, off Ezra Street. Well, or or we start embracing that, you know, and, and figure out yeah, a way absolutely. of creating. Yeah, yeah, that should be a festival, right? I'm like that, there's an opportunity. I am totally in that camp. That's that that that's to me that's the solution to that whole scenario. If they want a party on uh, March seventeenth or sixteenth, whatever it is, St. Patrick's Day, right? Yep, March seventeenth. Right. Um, yep. They then let's give it to them and. Yeah. Raise money for a, a service club while we're at it. You know, no, I, sell, I agree. Sell them the beer or yeah. whatever. I think the organized, so, I mean, they just, I don't, I give don't them a band. Any. Exactly. Yeah. I know one or two. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> well, I think your movies really kind of, it's been a launching off point for conversation. And I hope so. Really, where is not only, Waterloo going to go? Where is Kitchener going to go? But I, I think we need to be talking about it as a region and mm-hmm. as Waterloo region. And we need to stop looking at ourselves as just these. We, Lance said, we kind of look at ourselves as a small city. Well, Waterloo mm-hmm. isn't a small city anymore. Not Kitchener anymore. isn't a small city anymore. We need to be having these conversations all together because if we're talking about building an infrastructure that is going to house more than 6,000 people to bring in these large bands. And uh, that can't be done just, just, you know, as an individual city, it's got to be a group conversation. So is that part, well, let me interject then. So what, what was the, I know some of the answer to this question, but some, I don't, what was the upshot of lot 42? Because that, that had so many rumors around. It's going to be a conference center. It's going to be a music venue. It's going to be both. It's going to be all sorts of things. 
And it was a great opportunity. I mean, we've got, there's parking, it's right off the expressway, it had a cool vibe to it once it was renoed, it had a really industrial, you know, yeah. back alley, it's underground kind of thing. And I, you know, I, as far as I know, there has, there's one, there's one band, I, I know the guy that played pretty there. much. And I think, I, actually, yeah. I think that's a good story because Ron Doyle was one of those visionaries um, that can provide the leadership to, um, to make significant change in our region. I don't think government can actually pull it off. Um, it's too complex to try to get all the municipal councils to uh, get into the same harness. Others have tried to do that. The Creative Enterprise Initiative was an example of how that failed. Um, but right. the but there's there are still a lot of community leaders that are trying to move the the needle past those municipal boundaries. And one of the sponsors for my film, Hip Developments, is uh, is a really good example of that Ron Doyle kind of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. um, Scott Higgins and Paul Kalbfleisch have have put this down in a beautiful book called The Joy Experiments. I don't know if you've seen it, but no. their vision for this region is um, is that this is the creative capital of Canada, and they define creativity in the broadest sense that. Um, the the inventors of the BlackBerry are creative people. Completely. The symphony orchestra are is a creative organization, and creativity embraces everything about Waterloo Region, which is which everybody talks about as being so unique. You know, this whole barn raiser mentality, for example. And their book outlines their vision for how this is the creative capital of Canada now, and we just need to understand together that it's, um, so they're talking about a social movement, which is always a challenge, but it doesn't happen in one fell swoop. One rock and roll film is not gonna do it. Uh, one book is not gonna do it. There's a, there has to be a collective self-identity is what it comes down to. I live in a creative place and we can, you know, to figure out how to get people to stop saying, I live in a small town and to begin to think talk about ourselves as what hip people we are. You know, my, I'm <laughs> remembering that my mother who um, is not with us anymore, but she was in her eighties. And, and whenever people said, where are you from? She would say, I'm from the place where the Blackberry was invented. <laughs> <laughs> and that was her way of right. placing herself in the world. Right. And right. This it, it's to figure out like I'm I'm born and raised here, 74 years old now. When I think of who I am and where I came from, what I want to say is I came from the place with the University of Waterloo. And that's such a big part of how I understand my place in the world. I'm a graduate of, of that university and I believe in the the impact that that those universities have had. In our community so that's how i see myself in the planet and it's to figure out how to make that work in the broadest sense you know if you look at for example the gaslight community or district that they're developing in cambridge mm -hmm. now, that is so cool that is so hip in comparison yeah, to right. uptown waterloo or downtown kitchener but if toronto can do neighborhoods we can do neighborhoods too so why not uptown waterloo with an amazing bookstore, uh, downtown Kitchener with a fantastic coffee shop or 
downtown Cambridge with the Gaslight District, you know? Right. Like, why not all those yeah. different identities, but agree together that we're actually pretty cool. Yeah, that's good. And and not just describe us that, you know, well, we, we're, we're west of Toronto. Because I <laughs> right. tend to, you know, that's how, when I'm in the States and somebody says, oh, where are you from? I immediately <laughs> geographically go, well... Let me give this a shot. About an hour from Toronto. An hour, hour to Toronto, three hours, depending it? on how the traffic Right. Is. <laughs> Have you heard of Blackberry? I, you know, you lead with that stuff. But I will say that, I mean, I, I grew up in Niagara Falls, which was fine. But when I came to university, I went to the University of Waterloo and I kind of got it. Like, oh, this is what a city with vibrancy and energy to it. And it, and it comes from the universities, right? Because you always have an influx of youth. And that youth is driving the need for, you know, restaurants and, and fun things. And so, you know, cities that don't have that, uh, there is definitely a different vibe. But I don't actually think that we can count on the students to drive that shift in no. the audience because they really don't have any money. And the secret is to um, encourage people who go to university here to stay here and find work here instead of migrating to Florida or California or Australia or Toronto or Vancouver. Right. Right. And that's only going to happen when it's they've, they they're motivated to stay here for great jobs or a great culture scene, whatever comes first or second. I've heard a lot of anecdotal stories about people who, left, graduated, got the fantastic job in Vancouver, but when they decided it was time to settle down, they came back here because the kinds of things they want to do, like porch parties, for example, and um, you know, fantastic libraries, mm -hmm. this is where they wanna be. And that's their vision of an ideal time. So I think people, I think people land in their cultural home when they get to a certain age, when, they, when they're, earning money, they want to have a home, and maybe they want to have kids and buy into the whole family thing. This is a good place for that. And frankly, I think that's our target, is that community, not the students. Right. The students no, I would, I would agree. Temporary. I was just, I was just implying that there's a, there's a, the two, as you pointed out, the two universities, though, do drive Absolutely. something in this town. So not necessarily the students. Um, so Are they part of the conversation moving forward in terms mm -hmm. of building the music scene? Well, I noticed that the it's Wilfrid Laurier that's driving this Mel Brown symposium coming up next month. Right. That's pretty exciting. Is that that was an idea that came out of the blues community and the Black Lives Matter movement. And it was their, it's their community music program that became the context for the Mel Brown Festival. And I'm happy that it's become a music festival and the original idea was that they would put up a bronze portrait statue of Mel Brown and uh, I love Laura May Lindo's reaction because she said find a black artist to make it yeah <laughs> that was the end of that discussion and yeah so the, and the music festival and the symposium is actually much better legacy in my mind for um, for that person and let's celebrate him in that right. way yeah how do oh, we yeah. get more? I think, I think there is. Well, how do we? So in my mind, we've got a few things that could all feed into the goal of making this more creative, uh, more creative culture. So how do we get more creative people to move into the area 
And my immediate thing is like, when I think of all these, these, the, the films and stuff that are happening in Cambridge, it would be wonderful if we had a, a movie studio or something move into town. And then all those people associated with that uh, would be huge because those people that they, they're not directly maybe involved in the music industry, but they sure as hell seek it out once they're done their long day because they're creative. I want to go mm -hmm. out and I want to see some live music. So we've mm -hmm. created a, a demand. And then the other thing that I, I can't quite figure out is, is what we talked, you talked about in, in the movie. Um, and again, this is another documentary unto itself. What happened? It started, yeah. maybe, maybe it started with Napster. I don't know what the, the nucleus was where we went from music, bringing everyone together to now we enjoy music, but in a very isolated sense and streaming and everything else that kind of comes mm -hmm. along with that, trying to figure that out, figuring that algorithm and how, now I think it needs to be corrected. My son, on the other hand, one of my sons is talking, what are you talking about my, my buddies, we all love music. And you know, he doesn't, he doesn't agree with me that they are, they enjoy music in an isolated way. I think it's um, I think it's a matter matter of both now. It was catastrophic when um, when the change, like any big social transition, right? It was a crisis at the time. And Denise Donlan tells the story of what it was like when she became president of Sony Music Canada. And she, she's written a great book too, a memoir. Fearless is possible under the circumstances. What a great title. <laughs> it is a great title. She was in your, your film. Yeah, that her, was great. Her first job at Sony Music when she became president was to fire half the staff. I mean, can you imagine? That's awful. So I can't believe that she didn't turn around at that point. Yeah. <laughs> but and now, this many years down the road, I think what we have is both that... Um, People, for example, which is why I wanted somebody like Matt Weidinger to be in the film. This is a guy who is, he's totally has faith in his value as a, a creative person. Yep. He's committed to making his professional life. And he has, he does both. He performs live. He engages with live music on several different levels but he's really competent at pushing his work out on all the digital platforms as well. So people who have adapted to the new world are offering what they do on every platform, including uh, the live stage, because there is, everybody wants, in my mind, everybody wants both. I wanna have songs on my phone, but I also love sitting in the seat and experiencing live music. So. And I think the music makers have adapted to that reality. Whereas at the time, it was big industry that was being dismantled because the record companies played such a huge role in all of that. I worked for Lorena McKennett for uh, five years as her live music touring coordinator. Right. And she was going through that whole thing about how do I make my money, right? Do I make my money selling CDs? I make my money by going on tour and that helps me sell CDs. But in the middle of all of that, we were facing the transition to this new technology. And she still is very politically active in lobbying for fair compensation for when music is used in some of those platforms um, because she understands what it's like to be an independent musician making her own way in the world without a record company. And she resisted. Uh, a record company deal for a long time. So I think it's, I think the answer is 
both. But at the time, it felt like a disaster. But I think we've all adjusted now to everything that's on offer. Sure. Well, I, I selfishly would love to see more, you know, live music venues open here because I, I feel like I feel like in order to get to lot 42, we have to create mm. this grassroots um, thing, uh, you know, happening for experienced musicians, but then also, you know, younger kids that have never, you know, played in a bar or played out, you know, that they can come out and do a live mic session or, or, or an open mic session, sorry. And, and something like that. I would love to see, you know, who I miss is uh, Marianne Amp. I'm not sure if you remember her. Oh yeah, She was a, a musician here in town and she start she created a singer songwriter festival and it happened only one year. And uh, Paul McLeod was in that. Is she still living? She is still living. As far as I know, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say. Um, she's one of a kind, that she's, one. She's one of a kind. I really liked Marianne. And, um, and you know, she's she certainly has, uh, or has or had her challenges, uh, but she had such a creative force. And to have a singer-songwriter festival uh, I was involved with that. I was involved with just a bunch of different people. And we all went out to different bars and you could go around and you had like a, it was like going to sort of North by Northeast, right? You had a, a yeah. lineup and you go to different bars and stuff. So I'd love to see some of that stuff come back to this region. I do too. It's where my, um, my heart lies with the singer songwriter tradition. I saw William Prince and Serena Ryder at the center in the square early in April. And uh, it was such a treat after two years of, no live music experiences it was just wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's special, right? It's, it's, it's really exposed and intimate and that kind of thing. So like, it's a um, fantastic venue. Yes. In the square? Oh yeah. 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 We're lucky. I'm old. That's my kind of, that's my jam, man. Yeah. Like going I want to a comfortable square. Seat. And, yeah. <laughs> that's what it, that's, that's important right. to me. Yeah, exactly. Hey, no standing. Come on. I can't see, you know, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They used to have that rule at Eagles concerts, right? Like you can't oh, yeah. stand. You know? <laughs> That's right. Somebody stand up and start dancing. And it's like, hey man, you take it easy. Just sit down. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Everybody under 30 is like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> when Alice oh. Cooper played um the Kitchener Auditorium, uh, this is going back to uh I think it'd be mid-70s. I'd have to look up the date, but I was it was my show and I was promoting it, but I, I was really determined that I was going to sit down and appreciate it. So I grabbed a chair in the second row, didn't want the first row, but the second row and three bars into the song, the whole audience behind me stood up and rushed the stage. And I was oh, no. in a face plant on the floor, people running over my back. This was in the days before mosh pits. Yeah. And uh, that was the last time I sat in the front row to watch a concert. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You should you should just come with Andrew and I to see Blue Rodeo. That doesn't happen. That's much more civilized. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we we actually had we got the opportunity to talk to Colin Cripp and uh, of Blue Rodeo. And that was a lot of fun. But, you know, it he he has, has intimated too that so many great bands and musicians love coming to kw they love center in the square bob egan from blue rodeo now lives mm -hmm. here and, and is heavily involved in in the cultural and arts section of, uh, of kw so um somewhere along the line betty ann you and, and joe and and anyone else involved back in the day uh have created and still exists somewhere there's there's a hotbed of of comfortable or comfortability for our artists right because they still do come 
Well, thank you. I'm yeah. I'm glad I had the opportunity to tell the story. Well, I, I am too. I really enjoyed it. I will say this. I was surprised because, you know, just so you go in, Joe was an engineer and uh, becomes a concert promoter. Nowhere along the line did I hear any talk of this guy taking a business course. Not one. And yet he had the chutzpah to stand up to Chuck Berry, you know, and and which came out in the film. And like there was a few artists there that really tried to to screw him over. And boy, this guy had some business acumen yeah really. that, he event yeah actually at, at goodrich they did um they did offer him a, an mba but that was after he stood up to chuck berry his joe's background is that his family was uh in business in kitchener and there's a wonderful photograph of um his grandfather leo longo standing in front of a fruit and vegetable market on king street near water and right next door to the store was the Roma Theater. So Joe's grandfather, uh, Leo Longo, was a theater uh, impresario as well okay. as the owner of a business. So uh, I met Joe when I was 15 and the family talked business all the time. There was, you know, there was a son and um, Chair Karen Redman is Joe's cousin. So here she was part of that scene as well when we the family all sat around and every weekend we talked business over wonderful Italian food by the way but that's where Joe learned to be an a, 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 an entrepreneur and, and a businessman who was who had the courage to stand up to Chuck Berry because yeah. business was just always a part of his life and his family well, I, I love that you filled in that gap for me because that was something everybody watches a movie differently and they all zero in on something of interest to them. And um, I just I'm looking forward to being able to expand the stories around Rock This Town because you can only put so much into a, a one hour film and so many stories. But the exhibit at the museum is going to allow us to provide a lot more of the broader context. Um, right. There's a lot of stories that were not told in Rock This Town that we'll be able to tell in um, a different context. So I'm so excited when, about that, yeah. I have to say. Okay, so that's is that's happening at the museum? There's yeah, in a, a, the City of Waterloo Museum. Right. Which is at uh, Conestoga Mall. Okay. And when and, is that um, It'll be opening in October of 2022 and will run to June of 23. Oh, that's awesome. I've been telling everybody to go and see, you know, I didn't know how long it was going to be running at, at the princess. So, so you, you need to see this. Well, once so again, great. we're depending on the audience because yeah. um, the princess will run matinees every weekend, Saturday and Sunday okay. until people stop coming. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe that'll fuel that. You know what we should do is we should get all the, the people that have the funds that we want to fund some of this stuff. So let, guys, let's go watch a movie together. We should what have a good a, a idea. Night, Let's pass you know? the hat. Yeah. A little, well, you got a little wine and cheese and uh, Scott and I'll get up. We'll play. We'll open, open the show for you. This and sounds Scott, like this, too much fun. Well, it's the Scott Martin band. Come on. Right. I mean, who doesn't want to see the Scott Martin band? <laughs> I get away with this because I know he doesn't listen to the podcast. Uh, <laughs> so look, Betty, and I can't thank you enough. I now before we let you go, we end every podcast with a lightning round. We are going to ask you 10 questions that are a very unscientific way of us getting to know you. 
you that answers. We give you the answers. Don't worry. We give you like A or B. You pick one, and then that lets us know a little bit more about you. But before right. I let Andrew's going to do that, but I just want to thank you again for joining us today. I want to thank you for doing all that work with Joe back in the '60s because I benefited from that. I rolled into U of W and in '87. I got to see Frozen Ghost. I got to see Blue Rodeo. I got to see Kim Mitchell. And and now at, you know, now uh, here I am at 32 years of age. And <laughs> who are you trying to sell? Come on. I tried I tried to get away with that. Um, and I get to meet meet one of the two people that that uh, was responsible for that. So thank you so much. My pleasure. All right, Andrew, let's Just roll incredible. lightning round. Here it comes. Let's go. So let's start off. Vineyard vacation or cottage? A cottage. Art house theater or a multiplex movie theater? The first. 70s or 80s music? 70s. Small concert venue or stadium concert? Small concerts. Vinyl or tape? Oh, vinyl, no contest. <laughs> Movies. The Dead Poet Society or Goodwill Hunting? Hmm. Goodwill Hunting. Ah, there we go. I knew I liked her. That's perfect. <laughs> Great answer. How do you like those apples? <laughs> music of today or music back then? Music of today. Digital reader or book? Book. Elton John or Supertramp? Super tram. <laughs> <laughs> and the final question, t-shirt and jeans or full fashionista? Uh, t-shirt and jeans. Beautiful. Well, well, now, wait a second. That strikes me as odd because you're so styled. Really? <laughs> you're going to go with t-shirt and jeans? I, dress, I dressed up for you. Oh, wow. <laughs> I appreciate that. I feel like Andrew let us down, but that's okay. He's all I, I, actually... I am too. I layered down. I had a suit on yeah. until an hour ago. You and did not have a suit on. Don't <laughs> lie. There are things that I need to do to, to actually make money. And even if it's sitting in front <laughs> of a computer with a camera on me, I, I still have to suit up. But uh, it allows us to keep coming here and, and putting on this show. Right. So well, I'm right. grateful yes. that you do. Well, you've You've expanded your audience by eight people, Betty, and congratulations. <laughs> no, really, thank you so much for, for coming out it was my and, pleasure. and joining us and helping us continue this conversation that, that you've really just started and, and hopefully bringing back the, the storied history that was once Kitchener-Waterloo and, and bringing it back to the region again. Sounds good to me. Yeah. There you go. Thanks, Betty Ann. If you uh, if you want to ever return to Backstage Lowdown and if you've got a, a different project in the hopper and you want to promote it, please let me know. We'll get Thank you back you. on ASAP. Definitely. All right. Uh, thanks, Betty Ann. You have a great night. Bye for now. <laughs>